One of my best buds from college was a geology major who ended up becoming a ranger in the southeast US. I haven't spoken in years, as is the case with age, but I remember about eight or nine years back, he was telling me about an old married couple that he had recently helped out. He had seen them come to the park several days in a row, and found out they were visiting from out west, and they had gotten engaged their decades prior. They had been searching for a spot they'd taken pics of where he popped the question but were having trouble. After looking at the pics and figuring out roughly where they were trying to get to, he escorted them in his vehicle, then hiked with them to where he thought it would be. They found it, and he left them there and went back to his station at the entrance. He said he got a weird feeling once he got back, and felt like he needed to wait to see them whenever they left. Well, once it came time to lock up at night, he still hadn't seen them leave, so he reported it, left his assistant to wait at the shack at the entrance, and went back to where he left them. He found both of them lying down, spooning along the bank of the river. Neither were they alive. He called the cops, went through the nine yards and went home. The police were able to disclose to him their identities, but weren't sure of anything else initially. Later, he learned that the wife was terminally ill with cancer, and they had both committed suicide by ingesting some sort of chemical-slash-pill combination medley. They just chose to do it where they had gotten engaged. My brother wasn't torn up about it. He was obviously sad about them dying, but said that he thought they hadn't asked for help earlier because they didn't want anyone to think they helped kill them. My cousin is with the Forest Service in the Montana-slash-Wyoming area, and I decided to go up there with her to literally test the waters. She does hydrology and has to ride out to the middle of nowhere to test streams and snow runoff to ensure there are no contaminants, so I thought that sounded fun and wanted to do a bit of a tour with her. We were going to have to camp out there for two nights, so we packed up all our gear in saddlebags or saddle bundles and started out. The first day and night were amazing. Beautiful scenery and amazing air quality. It really is so peaceful out there. I love that area and wish I got to go up there more often. Anyway, we started out on the second day, and my cousin said, you want to see something weird? Of course I said yes, so she led me on a bit of a side journey into this tiny little ravine. We ended up traveling about two hours away from our actual path we had laid out. At the very end of this fold in the land, she dismounts and tells me to get off my horse, too. We tie them up in this gorgeous little clearing, and she tells me to follow this tiny wildlife path and bring our little rechargeable radio. It is one of those you can plug in or wind up, and it also acts as a lantern if you really need it too but that kills the batteries quickly. I do and, out in the middle of nowhere, there is a huge coil of wire sticking out of the ground. The wire itself was not weirdly large, like some buried transmission wire, but small, like 10 or 12 gauge wiring for a house. It trailed off into the brush and trees, so naturally I decided to follow the damn thing out of curiosity. My cousin trails behind me as I do, and this wire, 
after coming straight up from the ground, is strung across limbs of trees, then back to the ground, then it snakes around rocks and finally dead ends into an outlet. That outlet is mounted on the side of a desk. It looks like a school teacher's desk from when I was growing up, with a metal base and a pseudo wooden slash plastic top thing. No chair, no building, no nothing, just this outlet and this desk. I am staring confused as all hell at this desk in the middle of a forest when my cousin takes the radio, pulls out the cord, and plugs it into the outlet. That man then lit up and started blaring static. The wire was being fed from somewhere. For many miles, the place where we were had no road access, no buildings for many miles, and no other people around. And yet, there was a live outlet. Weird. No spooky jump scares or bodies, just one lone powered desk in the middle of the woods. I wish I had taken a picture of it. I'm a ranger, non-peace officer, and work at a pretty remote desert park. This happened before I got there, but the other rangers I work with were there. They went to patrol one of our seldom used campgrounds during the summer, our off-season. On a patrol, our maintenance ranger found a burned-out car in one of the sites. The desert is a weird place, so he just calls the sheriff and waits. The sheriff arrives and it turns out there's a body in the driver's seat. With no arms and no legs. Just a torso and a head. Burnt. Sheriffs just marked it as a suicide and removed the vehicle. We are close to Mexico and get a lot of illegal drug traffic. So I guess I won't even bother trying to solve those. Super sketchy. X-Ranger here. We had a group of frat boys making way too much noise. We came by twice, and at the second stop, I told them, this is your last warning. Not only is it rude for other campers to be so loud, it's exceptionally dangerous. Everyone knows that the local mountain lions are attracted to loud noises at night, and these ghost cats, as they are called, can creep right up on you without you hearing or seeing them. Whatever you do, don't leave your tent tonight. If you hear anything, don't make a sound. We went back to the station, grabbed the lion pelt from the interp center, and the night vision goggles. The head ranger had to blow what was left of the budget at the end of the previous year. Once they were all in their tents, we crept into the campsite and made fake lion tracks everywhere. We set up the lion pelt propped up over some sticks. The other ranger got out the PA and, from a distance, started doing fake lion calls, slowly getting closer. I pulled the jeep forward like we were arriving on scene, and got out. I turned on my mag light and illuminated the silhouette of the lion pelt. Because I was moving quickly, the shadow of the lion appeared to be moving. At this point, the frat boys were losing it. Stay in your tents followed shortly by she's coming around at us, and then there's another one. And finally, let's get the F out of here. At that point, we turned off the flashlights, grabbed the lion pelt in the darkness, jumped into the jeep, and sped off. Just after sunrise, 
they started peeking out of the tents. Nobody was brave enough to get out until about 8.30. When they saw all the huge paw and claw prints everywhere, they really freaked out. When I was in the scouts, or rather, the local equivalent, legally adult scouts had to do the three feather challenge. One day without food, one day without speaking, and one day and night alone in the woods with only a knife and a tarp, unseen by any human, after which one has to sneak back to the scout camp unnoticed by the sentries and report to the campmaster. It was my third day, so I took off, walked for miles through the woods, and found the most remote spot in the wildest, most overgrown part of the woods. I spent a spooky but uneventful night until almost before dawn, when I decided to go for a morning swim in the lake right before taking off to go back. I stripped nude and went towards the lake, but noticed a group of guys fishing, so I decided to go back. Suddenly, the ground underneath my feet caved in and I found myself submerged up to my armpits in the absolute vilest mass I have ever smelled. It was a pit where a poacher dumped the guts and leftovers of illegally hunted deer, and it fermented for weeks. Imagine the scene. A group of anglers hear some ungodly screaming from the direction of the woods, and they run there to see if someone needs help. What they see is a teenager-shaped ghoul covered completely in blood and rotten awful, who is crawling out of a bloody hole in the ground while shrieking and Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Weeping, then runs at them to get to the lake and wash off. In 2016, my boyfriend... Now my husband, and I went camping in eastern Pennsylvania. The place we decided to stop for the night was primitive. Camping was free, no cell service, barely a road, etc. We did encounter two other people. They might not factor into what happened later at all, but they were creepy, so I'll describe them. The first was a woman who had her truck off to the side of the road a little bit as we drove past. She had the hood open and seemed to be waiting for someone to stop and offer to help. Usually my boyfriend had no problem helping someone, but this time he said something about her put him off. She didn't really seem like she needed help, and usually people who need help look at you hopefully as you approach. She looked like she just expected we would stop. 
That's what my boyfriend said anyway. I hadn't really noticed anything that strange about her. The next person came when we had chosen a spot and were setting up a fire for hot dogs. I had noticed people drive by a few times, but my boyfriend pointed out that each time it was the same car and the man in the car watched us each time he passed. My boyfriend was a little uneasy about this, but we had driven around for a while before finding a place we liked. It had been raining and everything was muddy, and we wanted the driest site possible. He could have been doing the same thing. We briefly thought about moving, but the road was muddy too. If he wanted to find us, all he had to do was follow the tracks. There were some other tracks, but not many. He'd only have to backtrack a little to locate us again. He didn't come by another time, so we stayed and spent the several remaining hours before dark goofing off. No one else drove by. Whether or not those two had anything else to do with our experience, the real fear came later. We had gone to sleep in our tent, and sometime around 3 AM, we were awoken by this very loud noise. I can't describe it very well or even remember exactly what it sounded like, but my boyfriend said it reminded him of a chain gun revving up. Another way he described it was that it was also similar to how it would sound if someone recorded a shovel being dragged over gravel and played it over a loudspeaker. He jumped up and looked out the little window but couldn't really see anything. The sound repeated itself a few more times. I was too scared to speak, so my boyfriend whispered that it was probably miles off and I should go back to sleep. I didn't question this, as I figured loud sounds could be easily heard miles away. After we left, he told me it sounded like it had actually been coming from just down the road, but he didn't want to freak me out. Looking back, I probably should have wondered why he would bother to whisper if, apparently, the sound was far off. I was still terrified. Every little thing I heard outside sounded like someone was walking around the tent. We lay there for a while longer when finally my boyfriend told me to get dressed because we were leaving. I got alarmed by this and even more alarmed when he unwrapped the machete we had bought just for this trip from its plastic before opening the tent. We quickly packed up and loaded the car. I looked around for footprints that weren't our own, but despite the moon providing plenty of light, I couldn't really see. I did point out something my boyfriend hadn't noticed though before we got into the car. There was a beer can by our dead fire that hadn't been there before. We didn't even bring beer. While we were driving away, my boyfriend explained that he was nervous someone might have been trying to lure us out, so he didn't think it was a good idea to run from the tent right away. He also half expected to find out the gas tank had been siphoned out but that wouldn't have stopped us because we had a hybrid car. We joked that that would make a funny hybrid commercial. The number of brutal murders avoided by driving a hybrid. 2. We only joked because we were about to crap ourselves from fear and adrenaline even then. The rest of our trip we only stayed in well-populated campsites or got hotel rooms. I'm not a ranger, but was hiking in Andorra with a friend. Long story short, 
We got lost off the trail and ended up in Spain. We found another trail and were following it without a map. A while ahead of us, we see a man with two golden retrievers walking in the same direction we are. He looks young and is carrying climbing gear over his shoulder. We're rushing down the trail to catch up with him and finally do. We ask him for help with directions, and he tells us exactly where we are and where we need to be about 12 kilometers away, there's a town with a hotel. He says there's another, smaller, town about 6 kilometers away and that he parked his car there. He says he can give us a lift for the last 6 kilometers if we like, but says that he's in a hurry. We are over the moon and so we hike together for a while. The dogs are nice and friendly, running circles around us. We're chatting with him, and he's really nice, but my friend and I are tired, so we can't keep up with him for long. The trail bends away to the right, and the man, now a bit ahead of us, disappears behind the bend. We get there a couple of minutes later, and the trail is empty no man, and no dogs, even though the trail is a straight run for quite a while and we should have been able to see them. The two of us continue on, alarmed, waiting to hear or see something, or perhaps be murdered by a stranger. Nothing. We got to the town eventually, and from there made it to the safety of the hotel in the next town over. We were completely freaked out by his sudden disappearance, and to this day, we are both convinced he was a ghost. My dream job was to work for the national parks. Ever since I was a young boy, I always dreamed of being a park ranger, patrolling campgrounds and chatting with some of the friendly campers, hiking trails to make sure everything was easily maneuverable, and just spending time in nature. Being in nature has always been my way of disconnecting from reality. Whenever life became stressful, I would hit the trails, go backpacking for a few days, or rent a campsite in a remote area of the woods. My parents were never supportive of my goals. They would have much rather seen the letters MD after my name, or my face on a billboard advertising for people who were involved in traffic collisions. Oh well. I put in an application for one of the county parks near my house, not really expecting much out of it. I was fresh out of high school, with no college experience yet, flipping hamburgers and dealing with people who find a reason to complain about everything, so there was no harm at all in putting out applications. I pulled up a Google Map directory of every local, state, county, and national park in my state, California, and submitted applications wherever I saw openings. I even called a few parks that I really liked to see if they had any positions available but hadn't had any luck for months. My bank account was starting to dwindle as a result of constant maintenance on my 03 Civic, which had been put through more than the manufacturers could have ever designed the car to experience, and I was starting to stress. I would pinch my pennies together at gas stations, skip meals altogether when I didn't have anything readily available at home, and try to cruise at 55 on the freeways to be more efficient with what little fuel I had. I definitely didn't expect this to be my reality after high school, but I guess I should've, 
My parents kicked me out the minute they found out I was gay. And I was left living in my car for months until I found someone who would let me crash on their couch. It was really mentally challenging just trying to convince myself to keep going through everything. But I had this gut feeling that things would work out eventually. I know it sounds kind of weird, but this life wasn't half bad. I mean, I saved a fair bit of money on rent because Dylan let me sleep on his couch at night for free. I took my Civic with me wherever I drove to the beaches, the forests and mountains east, the deserts. Sleeping in the car wasn't too bad. I wasn't exactly the most picky camper in the world and knew that it was cheaper than renting a hotel every night. Eventually, I'd have loved to get a van or an SUV to have more room, but for now, the rusty bucket of problems we call a Civic would have to work. I remember the day that I got the email. I had just checked my bank account balance to see that I had $7.80 left. I was a few thousand miles over when I should have gotten my oil changed, and my front brakes were squeaking again most likely as a result of the axle leaking grease and corroding them. Like I said, a rusty bucket of problems. An email was in my inbox that read, National Park Service, immediately hiring full-time ranger. Must be willing to relocate. $65,000 base salary respond for info. I'd never been a religious lad, but this felt like a godsend. I'd never seen more than $5,000 in my bank account at one time, let alone $65,000 a year. As a base salary? Of course, I had to reply to them and send a message that read, Hi there. I'm Jake, a wilderness enthusiast based in California. I'd love to learn more about your opening with the National Park Service. I am willing to relocate wherever, although it might take time for me to get there. Let me know if you'd like to interview me. I attached a copy of my resume, which had a fair bit of information that would have proved I was the right candidate for the job. Ample experience in the wilderness, knowledge of most survival skills, excellent physical shape, and a good work ethic. I had beefed up my resume as much as possible. I don't know if I would have been able to forgive myself if they said I was unqualified or didn't get the position. That wouldn't have been an issue though. About 24 hours later, I got a response from a woman by the name of Abigail inviting me to do a tele-interview a day later. I started to feel giddy with excitement at the prospect of finally landing my dream job with the National Park Service. Not only that, but having accommodation, a stable income, and being able to spend time surrounded by the beauty of nature is all I could ask for in life. I set a reminder on my laptop that I had an interview, and hastily jotted down the number that she said she would be calling me from. I tried so hard to focus at work that day, but it felt like I was stumbling over orders and making careless mistakes again and again. Every time I slipped up, the manager walked over and yelled at me, then muttered something to herself in Spanish and walked away. I was so close to quitting on the spot, but something told me to hold off just a bit longer, until I knew for sure if I got the new job yet. Fast forward to the next day. Abigail called me about five minutes late. 
She asked me pretty basic questions about my past work experience, my work ethic, and asked me to describe some of the experience I have had in the wilderness and what knowledge I could bring to the team. I answered her questions honestly and very thoughtfully, making sure to reference real-world scenarios whenever possible, so she didn't think I was bluffing with all the experience I claimed to have. It seemed to be going great, and I was certain I would get the position. I was smiling wider than I had smiled in months when she asked me the question that sticks with me to this day. Are you afraid of what lurks in the shadows of the trees at night, Jake? It took me a minute to figure out how to respond to this. I didn't expect her to ask me that. When I was going over interview questions the night before, I planned just about everything out, even some follow-up questions to ask her about the position that would show how interested I am. I had not prepared for this. I'd never been afraid of the woods, or any nature at all. I had no reason to be. I knew everything there was to know about defending myself. I could use a knife pretty well, was great with a crossbow, and had even made my own bows before out of materials in the woods. I didn't exactly believe in supernatural beings or demonic entities, so there was no reason to be afraid. Still. Her question unsettled me a little bit. I tried to convince myself that it was just a joke and she wasn't serious, but the lack of laughter matching my nervous laughter shot that theory down pretty quickly. I took a deep breath, then responded. I've never been afraid of the shadows or the trees. I do just fine in the wilderness, and have never been in a situation where I feel like I have lost control. Her response sent chills up my spine. I reckon you should be, honey. She's always watching, even if it feels like she left. No matter how far you go, she'll always be a few steps behind you. She's always smiling, too. If you dare ignore. Abigail was cut off as she began talking to someone else on her end of the line, assumingly a co-worker or another park ranger. She eventually put herself on mute and I spent a few moments processing what had happened. Who is she question mark? What happens if you ignore her? I felt a bit uneasy, but then realized that Abigail works for the parks. I feel like to work with the NPS, you have to be at least a bit crazy. Few people would choose to live alone in the middle of the woods, patrolling and yelling at people who started fires outside of fire pits in exchange for the luxuries of fast internet, guaranteed electricity, and a healthy social life. Even if you weren't crazy getting in, chances are by the time you retire you'll have a therapist on speed dial. I tried to chalk it up to being an older lady who was starting to lose her mind, and brushed it off as no big deal. Just as I came to my conclusion, I heard Abigail's voice on the other end of the line again. Congratulations, Jake. You're perfect for the position. We're going to send you a ticket for your plane that'll be embarking on Alaska to start in Denali National Park in three days. Do you have any more questions? I froze for a minute. I was going to Alaska in three days. This moment was honestly the happiest of my life thus far. The realization that everything I had dreamed of was starting to fall into place. I was likely going to be surrounded by millions of trees, millions of acres of land, 
and one of the most beautiful landscapes the world has to offer. It had been my dream to visit Alaska one day, and now I get to live there and get paid to do so. But, I had to find out more. I wanted to know what she meant earlier about the girl who watches you. Even though I'm almost positive it was nothing, I wanted to hear it from her, just to ease my racing mind. I decided to start with a pretty general question. What should I bring with me? I asked. She responded quickly. Just your clothing and anything you might want in your station. Phone, laptop, and charger, winter clothing, a few home decorations or memories, any other odd gadgets you enjoy, and possibly a pocket knife will provide everything else you need. I didn't exactly have a lot to my name, aside from my car and a few boxes of crap that I had collected over the years, so I figured I'd pack light. I had to do a bit of shopping for winter clothing, as it's never cold enough to warrant heavy jackets in Southern California, but that would be a lot easier when I had the couple hundred dollars my car was worth in my pocket. I felt like we were comfortable enough with each other, so I asked the question. You said something earlier about a woman who watches you? I asked hesitantly, half expecting her to hang up on me and deny me the job right then and there. But she chuckled and responded. Oh, sorry about that. Sometimes, my brain acts all wonky with these interviews. She cleared her throat and continued. It was just one of those moments, nothing to be afraid of. That explanation resonated with me, and I thanked her for her time and hung up. I could hardly sleep at night excitement for my flight and vivid dreams about the forests, the wildlife, and life as a ranger filled my thoughts constantly. One night, it got so hard, I had to take Benadryl just to make myself drowsy enough to get a few hours of shut eye. It was the day of the flight. Dylan helped me with my bags and drove me to the airport. I decided I would give him the rest of the money I had, as I was sure there wouldn't be any convenience stores where I was heading, and I left him everything I couldn't take with me. I don't know if he was just taking it so I didn't have to lug it down to Goodwill or deal with the horror commonly known as the Facebook marketplace, but I appreciated it either way. I entered the terminal scanned my boarding pass and checked my duffel bags, and carried a pack with me that had all my technology. A crappy- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass- So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Point and shoot camera I'd saved for years. My laptop, a cell phone with contacts of the few people I wanted to remain close with, and a few notebooks because I loved writing. Of course, I had all my hiking gear packed. Even though they said they'd provide me with gear of my own when I got there, It was too difficult to part with the shoes and poles and things that had kept me going for so many years when I had nothing else to look forward to. I boarded my plane, threw my backpack in the overhead stowaway bin, and prepared for takeoff. This was it. My entire life's hoping and working had culminated in this moment. Every struggle I had, every moment of doubt about whether I wanted to keep pushing on through the poverty and pain, was gone. My dreams were about to become a reality. I braced myself for takeoff, and shut my eyes to get a little bit of rest while the plane began its six-hour journey towards Alaska. The plane touched down at Anchorage International, and it would be a short drive to get to the park where I would be stationed. I was greeted by a friendly face who I assumed to be Abigail. She was a frail woman, most likely in her late fifties, but had this fire in her eyes. She didn't look tough, but I had to assume she was a lot stronger than her appearance suggested. Behind her was a man, about my height and a little more muscular. I assumed he would be training me or working with me at my post. Neither of them said much, other than exchanging basic pleasantries and I was instructed to follow her to the van that they had arranged for transportation. I was stunned the moment I stepped out of the airport. Alaska was absolutely beautiful I'd seen pictures of it before, watched a few shows on television when I used to have cable, and of course, seen plenty of YouTube videos that people put out there, but it's just so much more incredible in person. The trees in the distance, The chilly air that just felt so much fresher than the city air, the dynamic of people in the area, all felt so surreal. It truly felt like home. Something I really needed at that point in my life. We got in the van, 
a small white transit that definitely showed some signs of use, and headed north, towards Denali National Park. I sat next to the muscular man whose name I learned to be Zeke. Abigail had left a bit earlier. I guess it's just me and Zeke right now, plus the driver of the van, who has an odd fondness for classical music. I put one of my earbuds in, knowing that I probably wouldn't get a lot of time to listen to music during orientation, and I enjoyed the drive as the sun started to sleepily duck down under the huge snow-capped mountains to my right. Eventually, we got to the ranger station. It was a small building, but from the outside it looked very inviting. The walls were made of wood, and the lights had a yellowish glow to them. There were windows on all sides, and a little check-in desk for those who were driving through. Surrounding the ranger station were towering green trees, which I recognized to be primarily white spruce, and to the left a bit was a building that looked like some form of bathroom connected to a garage. I had gotten to know Zeke a bit on the ride up. He was pretty quiet, but we had a lot of similarities. He was only a few years older than I was and had also been kicked out of his house by his family, although he wouldn't tell me why. Zeke grew up in Montana, in a small town near Glacier National Park, and fell in love with the surroundings. He told me he'd been working for the national parks for a year now, and was bumped up to one of the lead positions at Denali. I really felt like I could get along with Zeke, although there was something a bit off about him. It felt like he was hiding something. It had to be the voice, because it sounded as if there was some underlying fear or anxiety in his tone. Oh well, he seemed to be a really good person, and I'd be working with him indefinitely, so there was an obligation to get along to some extent. If something happened to one of us, we had to be able to depend on the other for help. I wasn't used to it, and I knew it wouldn't come as easily as the textbooks suggested, but it was something I could work toward. As the van pulled up to the garage next to the facilities, I motioned to get out, but Zeke reached over me and pulled the door shut once more. You're not stopping here, he said, with a grin. You'll be stationed in a tower about five miles north, in the forests. Everything you need should be there. A hunting rifle, clothing, gear, your phone and the numbers that you may need to call, and a handbook with all the information that you'll need for now. He paused for a moment, then continued. I know it sounds silly, but make sure to read every page in the handbook. It's not that long, and the last guy who didn't I could see a look of regret on Zeke's face as he realized that he had shared too much. Well, he had to be replaced somehow, and that's why you're here. It must have been evident that I had a look of shock on my face. I wish I had known this before I signed up for the position, but I guess it made sense. You're working in a remote area in the wilderness. All kinds of wildlife could cut your life short. If you don't know everything there is to know about the area, you could be caught with your pants down with a hungry bear looking right up at you, so to speak. I smiled, and said, I'll read it all. Don't worry. The expression on his face appeared genuine, and Zeke waved as he jumped out of the van and headed towards the ranger station. I adjusted around a bit, 
and put my feet up against the vacant left side of the van. The driver didn't say a word, and kept on driving. As the forest got denser and denser, the road felt bumpier and bumpier. Even though it didn't exactly feel like a divine cab ride, I felt like I was in heaven. I was surrounded by trees and people who also love nature, and I was making more money doing this than I would have made in three years at McDonald's. Maybe this is the closest to heaven I'll ever be. Just as I was starting to drift into sleep, I saw a huge tower in the distance. It was probably 85 feet tall and had a metal staircase that wrapped around the tower frame and led into a cabin, supposedly where I was to sleep and watch from. The driver pulled off a bit, got out of the car, and opened my door. I jumped out as well, and gave my legs a moment to adjust to standing up again after hours of riding in a bumpy van. Here you are, lad. You've got about a quarter mile to walk to the tower, through the forest to the right. He motioned his arm towards a huge expanse of trees that was surrounding the tower. It appeared as if some of the trees were taller than the tower itself. It was absolutely beautiful. I thanked him, shook his hand, put my gloves on, and began the hike towards my new home. The tower itself was amazing. It looked relatively new. The only evidence that anyone had lived in it before were the footprints gathered around the base of the steps. As I ascended the metal staircase that led into the sky, I couldn't help but gaze at the beautiful expanse of forest that surrounded me. For miles and miles, all I could see were towering trees and mountains, and there was a small lake a bit to the west. Considering the only light that was guiding me at this point was from the full moon and the stars that shone in the sky, it was amazing how well I could see. It was such a contrast from the mundane city views that I had grown to abhor, and it beat any hike or backpacking trip I had ever done by a long shot. A bright orange light helped me find the door. There were windows on three of the four sides of the tower, the fourth being the wall my bed was up against. When I entered the small cabin, there was a gunmetal filing cabinet and a wooden desk right next to the bed, and a locker which I presumed to hold all of my new belongings and the rifle. Around the unit were posters from various parks in Alaska, a few pictures of the staff team, and little notes about things you can see from each window. On the wooden desk was a handbook, assumingly the one I was informed about earlier. There was a black phone connected to a landline, and a little memo pad that was turned upside down. I spent a few hours reading the handbook. Nothing out of the ordinary. It outlined what I was supposed to be doing, some of the standard operating procedures for common events, and gave me a breakdown of the wildlife and plants that I would likely encounter. There was a map on one of the last pages that showed my tower in relation to the other towers throughout the park and the headquarters Zeke got dropped off at. For the most part, I was just on fire watch and patrolling for now every two days, I would hike a trail nearby my station and make sure that no fallen logs or huge grizzly corpses stopped trekkers and trucks from exploring the park. There was a page that detailed some of the things more experienced rangers got to do experiments with local research teams, assessing weather conditions, 
tagging and tracking animals through the forests, and cutting unhealthy trees into firewood to be used at the ranger station and sold in the nearest town to benefit the forest. I assumed that there would be tours as well, but no mention of those was in the handbook. I was about to turn away when I remembered that there was a little memo pad right Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right next to me. It looked pretty worn down. The cover was entirely faded when I turned it over, except for the big words on the front that read. Five most important things. I assumed that they were general notes on things that were happening nearby in real time. The handbook was probably a little out of date, and the notebook allowed rangers to jot down what was going on and leave reminders about current events that any new hires would need to know. But when I flipped to the first page, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine and through my body. In chicken scratch handwriting, it read, 1. You work alone. I glanced around the room, and didn't see anyone else with me. I figured that I would be working alone when I got to the park and Zeke got out. But it felt so dark. The writing felt like it was written as a warning of sorts, in case somebody else tried to pretend they worked there. Is it possible that some of the local backpackers tried to pretend to work for the parks in order to steal, or worse, rob them? I flipped the page. And once again, that shiver ran down my spine as I read the handwritten words. 2. She will not help you. I flipped the page again, anxiously glancing around the room, trying to figure out who she was. 3. If you hear her crying, run. I practically ripped the page off of the memo pad as I flipped again to see what was on the next page. 4. If you see her, it's too late. I slammed the book against the counter and started pacing around the room. I knew that I was getting myself into a job that could be dangerous, but who was she? Was I really doing here any kind of work, aside from watching for fires and hiking trails? I really wanted to know more, and soon. But, I was starting to get tired and wouldn't be able to get very far with the intense jet lag and the lack of sleep recently. I took off my shirt and boots, and set my backpack down next to the cot I'd be sleeping in. It was actually quite comfortable at least, more comfortable than sleeping on a couch had been. I decided to sleep with the utility belt on, knife, flashlight, and a FN57 pistol that I had found in the locker. Just in case I'm sure all of this would blow over in the morning, when I got answers. At least, that's what I told myself, as I tossed and turned in bed for 20 minutes trying to calm my nerves. I awoke to the sound of rain pattering against the roof of the tower. I thought, great, I won't be able to hike down to the station in this weather. I got up, cleared my eyes, blew my nose, 
and looked out the window. There was a heavy fog surrounding the tower, and I could barely see the trees closest to me, let alone the lake or the ranger station. I decided to look through the handbook one last time and see if I could find any phone numbers for the ranger station. When I looked through the night before, I found no mention of the phone at all, and no idea of how to reach others in case of emergencies. I guess it's very possible that I was too groggy and missed a key detail. I started walking towards the wooden desk when I froze. Someone was coming up my tower. I instinctively put my hand on my hip, where my 5.7 was stored, and was ready to pull it out and fire. Just as I started to raise the gun, I saw a young woman's face in the window. She was wearing typical ranger attire, a heavy snow jacket, cargo pants, and heavy boots. She had a utility belt on as well, with a knife and a gun similar to mine on her waist. I laughed at my stupidity for almost killing a fellow ranger. I put the gun back in its holster and opened the door. Hi, I'm Autumn. I just wanted to say hi to the new guy. She blushed, and pointed out through my window, towards where the entrance to the park would have been, most of the time, you can find me at the main headquarters. Sometimes, I like to work with the new recruits until they're comfortable with their duties. If you want, I can take you on a little tour when the weather clears up a bit. She was soaking wet, and her hair looked fresh out of the shower. She had to have trekked at least five miles to get here, through heavy rain and terrible conditions. There was no way I would say no to letting her stay a bit. Plus, it was starting to get colder. If she got caught out while it was snowing with soaked clothing, chances are it wouldn't end well. You can stay here for a bit, if you'd like. I just woke up a few minutes ago. I was looking for a manual on how to use the phone because I had a couple questions. I can't find any phone numbers or any information about how to contact the headquarters. I said, pointing towards the phone. She chuckled, and replied, Oh, those phones don't work. They're really just an aesthetic at this point. The lines used to be up and running, but now they're good as dead. You'd have to walk down to the headquarters to ask, but since I'm here, you may as well ask me. I felt embarrassed to ask about the notes in the notepad, so I quickly put together a random thought. What do we do about getting food here? Do they do supply runs to resupply the towers, or do you have to walk to pick up your own? I mean, it wasn't a bad question at all. Besides, I was getting hungry and couldn't find any food around the room. They'll bring it by in a few hours, she said, smiling. It's not exactly what I'd call comfort food, but it fills the stomach and gives you the energy you need to keep trekking. I smiled, thinking back to all the times that I had gone hungry because I couldn't afford to eat. I wasn't eager to tell Autumn my entire life story, so I stayed silent. But the prospect of getting food handed to me, and decent, livable food, made me livid with excitement. By the way, HQ told me to tell you that there was an incident on one of the trails not too far from here. Since it's in your territory, they want you to check it out. 
something about a boulder that's obstructing the path. I guess it became dislodged with the rain and rolled down the hill. I didn't realize how long it had been raining I guess it had to have started while I was sleeping, since there was a steady pour by the time I awoke. I'll check it out when the weather clears up. Do you know where it is? It's west of here. If you look on the map in your handbook, you'll see a trail called Boulder Ridge Loop. It's a seven-mile loop trail that goes around a mountain. Ironic, huh? I said, laughing. The boulder destroyed the Boulder Ridge Loop. Do you know exactly how much more rain we're going to get tonight? She shook her head. Not sure, to be honest. Chances are it'll get light for a few hours, then start raining pretty heavily again. If I were you, when it starts to ease, I would head out as fast as you can, and try to assess what happened. She paused for a moment, then continued. I'd be more than happy to tag along if you'd like the company. To help, plus it might be difficult to determine the trailheads on your first full day. That sounds great. I'm going to get changed and start getting ready, so we can leave in an instant. She started walking towards the door, and said, I'll wait near the trailhead. Don't dilly-dally too long, buddy. She gave me a friendly wave and jogged down the metal steps. Autumn seemed like a nice person. She was pretty, friendly, and knowledgeable. I put on a heavy rain jacket that was in my locker when I realized something. I sprinted over to the desk and grabbed the memo pad. Turning back to page one, I traced the scratched letters with my fingertip. One, you work alone. I flipped the page again. Two, she will not help you. I started to panic. I couldn't go out with her. I had already broken two of the rules that were in the memo pad. There was no way for me to reach the ranger station to ask them for clarification. I tried to be rational. Maybe she doesn't work with me, and she's just telling me my duties, I thought, trying to alleviate the anxiety in my mind. But it didn't help at all. I spent about an hour pacing back and forth, back and forth, until I noticed that the rain had started to lighten up. I began to pace faster and faster, looking through drawer upon drawer, trying to find something that could help me. Maybe a mobile phone, or a map so I could find the trail myself, or keys to some truck that was out of plain sight nearby. I couldn't find anything. Hours and hours passed until I noticed that the sky was getting darker and darker. God damn it, I thought to myself, I didn't get a chance to do anything today except worry. I turned the light on with the switch in the cabin, and went back over to look through the handbook, once again hoping that I had missed something that would help me in this situation. But I found nothing new. I looked outside, and could see nothing once again. There was a heavy fog all around the tower, and it was pitch black out. It must have been at least 10 p.m. I was considering calling it a night and trying to get some sleep when I heard a faint voice call out from the bottom of the tower. Hey! Are you coming? Oh God! She's back! I thought to myself. I had the pistol on my waist and grabbed a hunting rifle. 
Something was very off about this place, about Autumn. At first, I thought I could trust her. But at this point, I didn't know if I could trust anybody. I started to crawl slowly towards the door. I put my back against the thin frame of metal that separated the door from the wide glass window and peered out. I saw Autumn standing at the base of the tower, staring up at me. Her eyes were wide as saucers, and she was smiling. Not your typical smile. This smile was dark, twisted, and scary. It didn't quiver one bit, and she didn't lose her gaze once, even when I looked away. Hello? I heard her call out. I peered again, and she was now looking to the left, no longer right at me. I reached for the door and slowly creaked it open when I heard it. I heard her begin wailing. Not your typical I stubbed my toe on a coffee table while her screams were piercing. It was impossible to think straight. Even the constant pour of rain couldn't drown out her wailing. I remembered the third number in the memo pad, and began to shake. 3. If you hear her crying, run. I swung open the door and started to run down when her gaze immediately locked onto me. Her eyes had turned pure white, and she immediately stopped wailing and smiled once more. Saliva dripped down from her teeth and she began to laugh as she locked her eyes with mine. And if that wasn't bad enough, blood began to pour out of her eyes. I'm not talking a little bit, it was running down her face, and collecting in the collar of her ranger jacket. Her once beautiful hair was beginning to fall out by the second, and she began to tremble uncontrollably, as if she was about to explode. 4. If she sees you, it's too late. In a split second, I drew my hunting rifle. She began to sprint up the stairs, faster than any animal I had ever encountered. Her steps were effortless, and she didn't stumble one bit. I immediately aimed at her and fired. A bullet hit her right in the chest, and I saw her smiling corpse fall through the cracks between the metal steps. A pool of blood erupted from her body, and she lay motionless. I sprinted back into the tower, leaving my rifle on the deck, and slammed the door shut. With all the strength I had left, I pushed a filing cabinet against the metal cabin door, and immediately collapsed against the cold metal, as I listened to the rain drum against the roof of my tower. I was in shock. I am drained, exhausted, confused, and afraid. I don't know what that thing was, but it wouldn't bother me anymore. I felt a wave of relief rush over me. All I had to do was make it to the morning. I could get to the ranger headquarters and get the F out of this place. Out of this cursed forest. Out of this bad metal tower away from this demonic creature that called itself Autumn. That brings us to the present moment. I'm sitting here, phone in hand, writing this up on my notepad app. However, I just need to check something. I remembered that the title of the memo pad said that there weren't four things, but five. I glanced over at the title of the memo pad. As I expected, it read, five most important things. I thumbed through the pages. One, you work alone. Two, she will not help you. 
3. If you hear her crying, run. 4. If she sees you, it's too late. I paused for a moment, then turned the page once more. As I turned the page, I could hear the familiar pounding of feet sprinting up the stairs. Heavy, heavy shoes. And the sobbing was back, somehow twice as loud as it was before. I looked at the words on page 5, and dropped the memo pad to the floor in fear. 5. Do not try to kill her under any condition. She does not die. We were backpacking in a remote area of WA and wound up having to make camp in the dark. The first decent flat spot we found wound up being right by a stream, which was nice because we could fill our water. I woke up to pee in the early dawn, still fairly dark, and two steps out of the tent, a big six-point buck was running at me slash the creek. We both had a moment of what the F are you doing here? But he managed to stop about five feet short of me and turn around to run away. I'm still catching my breath when I hear a rustle in the bushes across the trail. It was a giant cougar at full sprint coming down the trail. The cougar turned and I caught a glimpse of the deer and realized the cougar was chasing him. It happened so fast that I only caught a couple frames of the chase, but needless to say, I woke my fellow campers up and started to make some noise. I didn't need coffee that morning. I was hiking with my family in Banff when I was a kid. My dad and I were up ahead with two other hikers wearing noisemakers. We come around a corner, and as we do, this massive caramel-colored 600 pounds grizzly comes running down the slope perpendicular to us. It comes to a halt in the middle of the trail, about 15 feet from us. Facing us, it stands on its hind legs, towering over the four of us frozen in fear. Luckily, it didn't find us all that interesting, probably wasn't enough meat on my tiny frame, and it ran down the other side of the slope. All of this probably happened in under a minute, but it felt like an eternity that's been burned into my mind ever since. Went camping with several friends in the Rockies. Some older friends and some my age, I was a bit younger. We all went to bed late at night. An hour or so later, my friend and I in the tent hear this horrible noise loud I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe like a longer version of what the raptors yell at each other in Jurassic World. We heard it several times. My friend and I are scared shitless. I quietly try to call over to the next tent where a couple of other friends are. They're scared too and not sure what to do. We keep hearing it. Finally, the next tent over, one of the older guys says, Hey, we should go start the fire back up. We got out and started it back up, totally freaked out. Then we hear laughter. Turns out it was the older guys, aka our scout leaders, pulling a prank on us, the young scouts. The old empty can with a string tied through a hole in the bottom of it. They got us good. We were pretty young, but we were also assholes to them, so we deserved it. 